The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek Narrated by Kurt Bonham Chapter 14 Stage Fright No, 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 wait, stop, don't! I bolt upright. Rumsey Playfield! The words spill out of my mouth. Sweat covers my body, and my stomach's a flip-flopping mess. It's always the same dream. My parents are gone. I can't breathe. Pungent, earthy, heady smells fill my nose. But this time, I'm in a bed inside the French Embassy guest suite. This time, the man in the fedora and his goons and guns were there. This time, I sensed they did something to a crane at Rumsey Playfield. Injured people. Lots of injured people. People full of dread and fear. I cough, cover my mouth. <coughs> a tingle in my gut tells me to look at my hands. Dark droplets of blood rest on the back of my hand. I suck on the blood, swallow, touch my fingertips to my lips and teeth. The name Pip pops into my head. Why is there blood? And why a dream about a place I've never been? And who the heck is Pip? But there's a definite urgency. I've got to get there. God, I hope Sapphire knows where Rumsey Playfield is. I throw on clothes and find Sapphire at the dining room table, eating breakfast. Sleep well? she asks. I don't respond, but sit down. Not sure how to explain or if I should. Did you sleep well, Boone? Concern fills her tone and she slides her chair closer to me. Oh, sure, fine. I grab a warm blueberry muffin. Maybe food will help calm me. So you slept fine and look like that. Her see-right-through-me stare says she's not going to let up. Where's Rumsey Playhouse? She lifts the teapot. Rumsey Playfield, you mean? That's where your village idiot concert is on Saturday. Is it far? No, it's on the way to Professor Stone's house. After a quick breakfast, we head out. And at the curb, exhaust from passing vehicles chokes me. I swallow hard, shake it off, cross the street, and stare at the stone wall between us and the trees. Which way? My voice sounds more panicked than I mean to put across. We go into the park, take a left through the woods. We enter the park. I'm practically speed walking. On your left! A voice, and then a group of joggers blasts past. I bump into Sapphire, pushing her to the side of the path. On your left! Another voice, and a group of rollerbladers whizzes past. Fire instant rips through my gut. Not from being pushed around by joggers or rollerbladers, but from my dream, my vision. Quick, this way! I sense we're close. I sense something is about to happen. I run up the path at full speed. Sounds of heavy machinery. I push harder. I run faster. The sounds get louder. I can't shake the feeling of dread and screaming. The voice in my head is screaming. 
No. More than one voice. Voices in my head are screaming. I turn the corner. The sound of machines is on top of me. I look up. A crane is lifting a giant platform like some kind of stage. My feet shuffle to a stop. The crane's leaning dangerously off kilter, the stage swinging. Look out! My voice is loud, commanding, and full of fear. Workers, pedestrians, look up and watch the stage tilt and tip and swing violently. The crane wobbles. My eyes follow the stage's path to the ground. A group of teens. I wave, run, shout, Move! 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 My arms shove and wrap around at least two of the teens. The shadow of the stage darkens, cloaks us. I hang on to the teens, push off the ground full force into the air toward a patch of grass. A horrendous snap! The force of the falling crane rips the wind. The stage crashes and explodes on the ground. A gigantic plume of dirt and debris shower us, pummel us, cover us. Shouts, cries, wails. No, no, no. My heart reverse bungee jumps. My breathing goes rapid. My hands quiver, shake. Not a panic attack now. Count, Boone. Count. One, two, three. A man standing frozen, walkie-talkie in hand, comes to life. A white construction helmet sits on his head. Everyone report in. Everyone report in now. Help needed. Voices respond through the walkie-talkie. Team one, all safe here. Team two, all safe here. Team three, all safe here. I force myself to breathe in deep like Sapphire showed me. Four, five, six. I suck in some more air, untangle myself from the teenagers, stand, and scan for injuries. A red-haired girl wears a white daisy t-shirt, gets to her knees, and stands, only a little shaky. A pink-haired girl, the sides of her head shaved, wearing fatigue sweatpants, hops up, dusts off her thighs. A blonde-haired girl clad in a jean jacket grabs her elbow, but gets to her feet. And a brown-haired boy gets up last, looking the most shell-shocked. He's pale and wobbly. Are you all right? I ask him. I search for blood, broken bones. I'm okay, he says. His face is covered in dirt and a we-almost-died expression. Then he clutches his stomach. I ask him again. Are you all right? What's your name? I eyeball his midsection. My name's Kenny. I think I'm gonna throw up. His face turns three shades of wicked witch green. His cheeks puff out. His eyes dance. Make a hole, boy gonna hurl. I twist him away from the girls, but not fast enough. Kenny bends forward and spews a fizzy brown mass containing visible clumps of partially chewed popcorn and mustard-covered hot dog chunks. Despite my hopes to get him out of the way, the fluid mass torpedoes toward the girls. Direct hit. The girls scream. I pat Kenny's back. Feel better? He wheezes, sucks in a mouthful of air, rubs his belly. Dry heaves a few times. 
Then his face transforms into a smile of mixed relief and, good lord, I blew chunks. A man in a yellow hard hat and orange vest runs to the man in the white construction helmet. I told you, Jerry, those men here earlier weren't part of my crane team. He turns his attention to me. Are you and those kids all right? Guys, you okay? I ask. I'm okay now, Kenny says. The girls wipe their clothes with tissues. Jerry's face relaxes. If you hadn't been here to act when you did, he stares at the kids. That stage could have... Sapphire's here now and rubs my back. Are you sure you're all right? Yeah, the crane was in my dream. I walk over to Jerry. That man in the yellow hard hat. I overheard him tell you some guys were around the crane. Did you see? Did one of them have on a fedora? His eyes flicker, size me up. Who are you? Boone Daniels. I'm with the band set to play on Saturday. You saved those kids, Mr. Daniels. But I didn't see any guys. And now I have to clean up this area and relocate to the B-site. Plus, fill out a ton of paperwork. Where's B-site? Across from Belvedere Castle. Sapphire pulls my arm and leads me away. Start talking. You knew that stage was going to crash? Is this what you were trying to tell me at breakfast? Are you psychic or something? I sometimes have uber-vivid dreams. And sometimes things happen just like I dream. Other times, all I have are vivid dreams. Most of the time, everything's all jumbled and doesn't make sense. Only this time, I woke up with Rumsey Playfield and a feeling of fear and dread. I sensed something horrible was going to happen, and I had to try and do something. It's lucky we got there when we did. Sapphire's tone is full of relief. At the B-site, which turns out to be the Great Lawn in Central Park, there's a huge sign which reads, Welcome to the Village of Cocaine. No way. Central Park has a medieval village set up for the Ren Fair? I ask. It's like I never left home. Confusion ripples across Sapphire's face. You live in a medieval village? Sort of. June through October, I work at the Ren Fair. Searing pain rips through my ribs and sternum. Ah! I grab my chest, struggle to breathe. The name Pip in my head again, and then just as fast, the pain vanishes. Are you sure you're okay? Sapphire asks. Maybe you have internal injuries? I'm okay. Probably just heartburn. Eating and running and saving lives and all. Sapphire seems appeased by my answer. What's a castle doing in New York City? I point up the path. That's Belvedere Castle, like the construction worker said. It was built as a lookout or something to do with monitoring the weather. Anything strange or odd happen there? I ask, rubbing my chest. It seems familiar, but I've never seen it before. She points further up the path. We're almost to the professor's house. It's past the Aden Planetarium and Museum of Natural History. We walk on, and I spot some stone steps with brass railings. At the top of the steps, there's a doorway. Beside the door is a placard with a lavender and roses image.
the same placard I saw outside the professor's house. I stop. What's this building? Sapphire points to a sign. This is the New York Historical Society on Central Park West. It has the same lavender and roses symbol I saw at Professor Stone's. I walk up the steps, point at the placard. This here? Yes, that's a historical placard. All of them are in blue with a yellow border, noticeable and distinctive. Lots of old buildings get them. And the stone family brownstone was built in the 1880s. That's why it has a placard. Around the next corner, we come to Professor Stone's brownstone. Sapphire points to the roof line. Feels like we're in the middle of an Edgar Allan Poe novel. Crows line the roof and treetops on either side of the professor's house, but nowhere else on the entire block. Now you see crows? That's weird. I just remembered. I heard birds squawking just before the professor fell. Coming up next in The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek. Chapter 15 Stone's Safe <laughs> 